2: It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business.
3: And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on the Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right into it. I'm actually thrilled to kick off the program with Anna Marie kuka um, who has a absolutely fascinating background. Um, and, uh, let's, let's get started because I'm excited to hear about the new book and where you got the title. Anna Marie, welcome to the program.
0: Well, thank you very much for having me on. I appreciate it.
3: Absolutely. Marie. I hear that you have been a journalist for local and major publications. Can you share some of your background with our audience?
0: Oh, that, that's fine. In fact, a lot of people in the area may remember me uh, more recently uh, with the Daily Herald. I was a business writer for them for roughly about 17 years. Uh, and before that, though, um, you know, I started out at the Daily South Southtown uh, for a lot of years on the south suburbs and covered a lot of things out there. And then uh, went to the American Bar Association and wrote for their publications. And also for the uh, Illinois Attorney General's Office, which is really great because uh, not only did it give me insight onto what a journalist really should be asking uh, and wasn't, and then going back uh, into uh, reporting uh, with the Daily Herald and some other publications later on, I I left the uh, Daily Herald back in 2017. I decided to quit, which I know a lot of journalists these days probably thought was crazy, but um, there were a few things that started uh, or happened in my life at the time where I began thinking about, you know, that so-called bucket list and other things that I just wanted to get to. Um, uh, My husband and I had taken care of his mother uh, for a number of years until she passed away from Alzheimer's, and then my dad, same situation where... Um, we took care of my dad for a, a, a number of years until he passed away from uh, dementia and other illnesses. And then suddenly one of my brothers passed away. And you know, it, it just really makes you think about what's important in your life and whether or not you want to do uh, other things where you can make an impact in some way. So um, after discussion with my husband, we uh, thought it would be okay, decided to uh, quit the Daily Herald and um, uh, went into some freelance writing on the side where I had some articles appear in the U.S. News and World Report and the ABA Journal and and some other publications, and uh, decided to write a book and wanted to um, focus on a couple of different areas where I thought it might make an impact. And I talked with Sister Beth Murphy. She's um, with the Springfield Dominican Sisters um, in Springfield, Illinois. And I've known her for a number of years because back in the 1990s, I was a a Dominican associate and I uh, was doing that for uh, years and decided to move on and go further into journalism at that time. But I kept in touch with the sisters over the years. And um, back in 2017, I talked with Sister Beth um, Tyner. I wanted to do a book and uh, I thought some of the missions that they do would be fascinating. And so uh, she had mentioned uh, this one in Aurora, which basically is right in our backyard. And very few people seem to know about it outside a circle of immigrants that had attended uh, the Dominican Literacy Center. So that's how I got the idea for the book. Well, I went over there, I talked to Sister Kathleen Ryan, who was the founder, and Uh, She put me in touch with some other people, both at their center in Aurora and another in Melrose Park, and uh, talked with them, and then started talking to a lot of students, uh, or former students. And I wanted to reach the very first student, uh, the very first woman who um, started learning to speak English uh, at the center in Aurora. And so we reached her, and she agreed to talk with me. In fact, I talked with a lot of these women a number of times. And it just seemed fascinating to find out what started their journey to the United States and what finally made them come to the center and finally learn how to speak English and fit more into their local society since they decided to stay and and they all went on the path to U.S. citizenship. So it was a fascinating uh, background on that.
3: No, I appreciate the background very much. Again, I'm chatting with uh, Anna-Marie Kuka tomchuk the um, author of a new book and really, really interesting background uh, about uh, where sort of your career history, but then also, obviously, how it led to the book. So what is your favorite story in the book? Well, let's start with what is the title of the book, because I know people will want to find it uh, online. And what's your favorite story in the book and the key takeaways?
0: Well, the, the title is We Are Eagles, and the subtitle is Inspiring Stories of Immigrant Women, Who Took Bold Steps in Life Through Literacy. And, um, you know, it it focuses on five Latinas because it happened to be at the time when the center started that uh, it was mostly people coming in from Mexico that uh, attended the center. Uh, Today, though, after more than 25 years, uh, the center has accommodated and worked with immigrants from 30 different countries. So it's it's a variety of people that have walked through that doorway. Um, But I got the title actually from one of the main uh, women in the book. Uh, her name is Maribel. Her daughter seemed just so excited that her mother, find, you know, even you know, at a later age, learned how to drive, uh, got a used car, and they felt like now they didn't have to depend on anyone at any time uh, to get them where they needed to go. They could go anywhere, and so the little girl was really happy and said, "We're we are like eagles," and and Maribel said, "Yes, we are eagles," and so that's basically how I got the title of the book. And the uh, women that I talked with, uh, the five main women, uh, they all seem to have a different story to tell. They all, um, you know, one woman, like, for example, Maribel, the, one of the main ones, she was abused terribly by her husband, uh, so much so that she eventually escaped uh, with her daughter, her daughter was about five years old at the time, and uh, had some uh, help through some uh, domestic violence shelter. And some other people that helped her out. And eventually, mm-hmm. in her life, um, she came, became from someone who was a domestic violence victim to a survivor. And then later on, um, she went from, once she learned how to uh, speak English, she got better jobs, she saved money, she was able to get her first home, uh, first savings account, everything, um, and obviously her first mortgage. But um, uh, later on, she opened up her own uh, business, which is still in existence in in South End of Naperville, and uh, she eventually ran the Chicago Marathon. So uh, that's more of the dramatic end. But like The first woman, Juanita, she escaped uh, some torment or some men that threatened to rape her. And so they stalked her constantly until she had help from her family to escape there and ended up coming to a relative here in the Chicago area. So Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and other women had other stories to tell. In fact, one woman, Blanca, I mean, many people could relate to her. She was a woman who had a job for 20 years in America. She became a citizen. She raised a family and uh, she became a supervisor. And then one day walked into her business and the company that owned them decided to farm out their services as housekeeping and laid off her and the entire staff. I mean, how many people have recognized that, no matter what ethnic heritage they are, they've all experienced some way where they walked into their company and found out there were going to be mass layoffs. So um, she overcame that. She was like 61 years old, so she decided to uh, sign the separation papers. But then she started doing some other things too. So.
3: It was um, Anna Marie Anna Marie, I, ha- I have to I have to stop you there because I want to make sure we're coming to the to the end of our conversation. I want to make sure our listeners know where they can get a copy of the book and continue to support the important work of the center. Um, where can people learn more and uh, pick up a copy?
0: Well the book is available on paperback and ebook on Amazon in the books in the book section. And um, uh, the center itself uh, one uh, is located in Aurora, Illinois and the other is in Melrose Park. And they're open to just about anybody who's able to come in and is willing to uh, learn how to speak and, and write and, and uh, talk in English. So uh, they're, the centers are still operated by the uh, Dominican Sisters of Springfield. And they've um, been able to work with a variety of people.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, that that's fantastic. And I do hope that people will come out and show their support and uh, and certainly pick up a copy of the book. But uh, Anna-Marie koukak Tomczyk. Thank you so much for joining us on the air, sharing um, your unique background, your unique experiences, led to the writing of the book. I do hope that people will uh, pick up a copy. We'll link to it uh, in the show notes and on the website. But again, thanks so much for joining us here on Get Down to Business. We're going to squeeze in a quick break. More small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. And I am so excited for this conversation with Luisa Mendoza, the CEO and Tim Carter, COO of Uconic, a New York City-based brand new and privately held company entering the digital marketing and advertising industry, um, which is unique because they're supporting businesses' adaptation to digital reality. So first, Louisa and Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Thanks. Appreciate you having here. us on. It is, it's, it's fun to have you. So I'd love to get to know the people behind the microphone, and then we'll talk a little bit uh, more about how digital marketing actually helps uh, businesses. So tell us a little bit, um, and uh, Luis, I'll start with you, a little bit of uh, of your background. I understand you uh, you have uh, been the, uh, the first Hispanic female in the United States to start a global tourism, sports, and entertainment company. So how did you get involved in that and what led you to pivot into this new industry?
4: Absolutely. Thank you so much for the question. And so uh, my career track has been uh, tourism at the peak of my career in tourism. I was a senior director for NYC and company, which is the official tourism office for New York, where I was seeing overseeing Spain and Latin America. And uh, I thought that was my dream job. I'm like, it doesn't get better than promoting New York city. And so Um, I got recruited by the Brooklyn Nets to come and be their first uh, director of global tourism development and uh, talk about taking a leap of faith because I was leaving my industry, like what I knew, NYC and company tourism and going into a new arena, which was sports but I have to be very thankful for my former CEO who said, Luisa, as much as I hate to see you go, I would be the most selfish person if I don't let you take this huge opportunity because sports and tourism is, the, is going to be the next big thing in, in tourism. And so I went to go, uh, to go work for the Brooklyn Nets. And very quickly, I realized um, becoming their first director when I met with the U.S. Travel Association that out of all of the sports team in the United States, only one team uh, had hired a tourism expert and that was the Brooklyn Nets when they hired me. Um, And so that really allowed uh, the the opportunity to not only triple the sales in the Brooklyn Nets with tourism, but it also gave us a international footprint where my clients were saying, Louisa, we want more access to sports teams. And uh, it was a no brainer because I got to meet all of the sports teams and they were asking me for help with tourism. And so I saw the perfect uh, opportunity to bridge the gap between sports and tourism. And that's how that company came to be. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that was January of last year. Uh, went off, like you said, in February to be on Univision as the first Hispanic female to start a tourism, sports and entertainment company, a global company like that. And then no one told us that COVID-19 was going to (laughs) hit. But, you know, the word we heard last year was pivot. And I heard Tony Robbins say something really powerful, which was COVID-19 did not happen to us, it happened for us. And so at that point, I'm so grateful to have Tim um, who really said, you know, we we got together and we're like, okay, it's gonna take a while for sports and tourism to come back. What can we do? How can we grow our portfolio? And there's many people that have multiple companies. Why can't Mm -hmm. we? And so we went into, well, what does the world need right now? And obviously it was digital marketing. And uh, we knew more than ever, and we'll get into that in a moment, but that's kind of the evolution of how sure. tourism resulted into sports, into now a digital marketing agency.
3: Fantastic story. Again, I've been chatting with uh, Luisa Mendoza, the founder and CEO um, of Muconic. Um, and uh, Tim, uh, jumping over to you as the uh, co-founder and chief operating officer um, you and uh, Louisa have partnered together in, uh, in educating. I'll use that word educating on digital marketing. And I, I, I want to get into the, uh, into the nuts and bolts of that. Um, in your experience, and let's talk a little bit about your experience, but in your experience, why is digital marketing an essential tool for any kind of business, especially in COVID-19? And how is Euconic sort of providing that unique value to the marketplace?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. And I think now that everyone is, um, you know, somewhat trapped to their homes or, or, you know, constantly in front of their screens, whether it's their phone or a computer or whatever it might be. Digital marketing is kind of the only way and the best way to reach the end consumer. Um, no one's out and about, no one's walking by billboards. Um, you know, people don't really watch live television that much anymore. And so so digital marketing is so key and so important um, for businesses to to be able to reach people where they're at. And, and that's kind of the, the goal of Uconic and, and something that, um, we've really taken to heart is okay. How can we do that best? How can we help? Comp- how can we help companies and organizations reach their end consumer where their end consumer is at? And um, in my background, really briefly, you know, working from you know Fortune 300 companies to small IT, you know, boutique consulting firms, whatever it might be. And so, Uconic has really tried to be this perfect blend of you know the the scalability and the processes of a, of a major you know Fortune 300 company while having the the flexibility. Uh, of a small, you know, boutique consulting firm, whatever it might be. And so I think we've kind of found Mm -hmm. this, this perfect match with, with Uconic. Uh,
3: Absolutely. You have. And uh, again, Louisa, back over to you. Um, One of the questions that I always ask um, from, uh, from entrepreneurs, from successful leaders like yourself is digital marketing is something that, that, may typically be associated with larger companies. You know, the, uh, the Brooklyn Nets perhaps uh, can, can talk digital marketing. Well, when you talk about small entrepreneurs and, and small businesses, often, you know, people are focused on how do, I put, how do I bring the next client in? What do I do to survive the next month, make the next payroll, if they're so fortunate to have somebody on their staff? So what's your, what's your answer to that? How is digital marketing... Um, important to small businesses as well as big businesses?
4: That's such a great question. And I think going back to what Tim was saying, you know, right now, companies have to have a digital presence in order to survive. The world has gone more digital than ever, and sometimes for the smaller businesses, you may have to sacrifice some things in order to make sure that you're putting digital marketing at your forefront, right? Because at the end of the day, the number one goal for any business is to make money, to get clients, and to stay in business, right? Um, otherwise, you would be a nonprofit foundation, and even then, nonprofits need the exposure, they need the they need the ability to to raise money, um, because that's what keeps the momentum going. So, I think it's super critical to make sure that whether it's a big company or a small company, that at least you speak to someone so you can understand how digital marketing could literally be the breaking point of taking your company from a small company and growing it into a much larger organization. As they say, you know, you judge a book by its cover. And right now, many people, when they say, let me work with this company. The first thing that many people are gonna do is they're gonna go look at that person's website. And if your website is not up to par, people are gonna be like, is this a legit company? Or, (laughs) um, you know? And so I think like they say, it takes money to make money. And if there's one thing that as an entrepreneur, I know you have to invest in, is making sure that your appearance and your message out to your customers and potential customers is the best one possible. So you continue to grow your business.
3: And that message resonates as, uh, as we just heard from Luisa Mendoza, founder and CEO of uh, It resonates both with big businesses, small businesses, everybody should invest in the future, be proactive rather than just reactive. And that is how you can grow and uh, become more successful. So we are running out of time and I want to uh, turn back over to the uh, co-founder and CEO of Uconic, Tim Carter uh, to wrap us up. And uh, speaking of websites, I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find yours and get in touch with your fantastic digital team that are results-oriented in helping companies get the best strategy for the digital world
2: yeah definitely thank you so much Lil. i really appreciate the time really appreciate being able to come on and, and and talk a little bit about digital marketing and uconic you can go to our website at www.uconic.com or or shoot us an an email at info at uconic.com i'm more than happy to reach out to you to to answer any questions there or there's also a few different forms on our website um but you know as as COVID 19 hopefully is you know slowly starting to come to an end. Digital marketing will still be a a major piece of marketing because of the way that um, our habits have changed. And so uh, we're definitely looking forward to the future and and all the possibilities that we have to grow there.
3: Well, appreciate uh, both of your times, Louisa, Tim, thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll uh, certainly uh, stay in touch as we continue to talk about digital marketing, which will certainly be a thing Um, that every business needs to focus on. We're going to squeeze in a quick break uh, for some headlines and commercials here and Get Down to Business. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business. Be sure to check out our sponsors on the program, uh, the amazing Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com as well as uh, the wonderful team at ChicagoSignatureLimo.com for all of your transportation needs. And be sure uh, to get on my website, shellamkline.com, where you download podcasts from all of our wonderful episodes here on the show, all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And speaking of podcasts, make sure you are clicking subscribe, rate, review, and share, um, whether you are tuning in uh, live on the radio or you want to download past episodes, uh, make it easier for people to find Um, this program, uh, your friends, your business colleagues will not regret it. So I've been thinking a lot about how to disagree without being disagreeable. And that is something that we certainly experience in business all of the time. You will find times that you disagree with the decisions, recommendations that others hold. And while you'll never come off in a positive light if you adopt the disagree before, before knowing what they'll say tactic, it is possible and necessary to express disagreement from time to time. To do it properly and professionally, this is critical to your success. So sometimes nobody will disagree. Many firms, many workplace cultures discourage disagreement, particularly with senior management ideas and plans. That's too bad because when a disagreement is suppressed, firms and teams end up making flawed decisions or following paths that no one outside of the boss agrees with. So whether senior leaders actively discourage disagreement, or their or your management behavior suggests that this will not be tolerated, suppression of ideas is, is part of that formula for failure. And it is the leader's job to provide a vision for the group. A good executive has to have a dream and an ability to get the company to support that dream. But it's not enough to merely have the dream. The leader also has to provide that framework by, the, by which the people in the organization can help achieve the dream. This is called company culture. When your company culture allows people to challenge ideas, suggestions, plans, you create an organization of thinking, committed, People capable of producing the kinds of innovation and productivity required to succeed today. If your company culture is not allowing for constructive dissent, people who suggest alternatives are are for not being team players. You're you're creating an environment of fear, stagnation, and 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 and, and just dissent overall. Not allowing that dissent will kill your company. And allow for discussion and debate. You're a smart manager. You encourage your people to challenge you and suggest alternatives. But are you a good subordinate? Do you challenge your boss? Or do you sit back and protect your job by agreeing with everything the boss suggests? A mindless agreement won't protect your job, at least not for long. Every manager has a boss. Our responsibility to our bosses is to be honest with them and tell them what we think, even if we disagree. Perhaps, especially if we disagree, you and your peers need to discuss issues openly, frankly, and with the best interest of your area clearly visible. You need to give the boss as much information as as many options as possible. Don't be afraid to fight hard for what you believe to be right. Be professional about it, but be candid too. But once the boss made a decision, the discussion that it has has stop right there. Once a decision has been made, you have an obligation to support your boss in that decision. You expect of your people, and you should do no less. So often, you'll think your position is right. You want what's best for your people. You want things done in a way that's best for your department. So you argue your point strongly. That's good. But don't overdo it. You won't win every battle after all the bosses looking after the best interest of the entire organization, not just your part of it. So a couple of things that I would recommend is number one, start by asking clarifying questions about the proposal in front of you. Make certain you and others clearly understand the issue before you voice your objections and assess the framing of the issue. If the situation was positioned as a solution to a problem, try and encourage the team to think about solutions as if the issue were a potential benefit. If you frame the same issue as either positive or negative, you may very well develop a completely unique solution for each situation. And strive to understand the assumptions behind the current position or idea. Listen carefully. And if you hear a flawed assumption, politely suggest that it be reviewed. And don't make your disagreement personal. Focus on the business issues at hand. No one appreciates personal attack. Instead of suggesting yours is the only answer, position it as the option to be considered. When describing your approach, treat the other's ideas respectfully while carefully describing the benefits that yours offers above and beyond the other approach. And as for an opportunity to prove your case with a trial run of your idea, many executives will appreciate the spirit of giving someone a shot to prove their point. And bottom line, don't expect to win them all. You're in a marathon, not a sprint. It is really important in summary to foster a culture in your company, whether it's a big company or a small company where differing opinions are encouraged. Be certain as a leader that you're not overtly or inadvertently suppressing the free exchange of ideas. If everyone always agrees with you, it's a sign that people are not comfortable sharing their true views. And most of all, learn to disagree without positioning it as a life and death issue and alienating people in the process. After all, no one wants to be that executive mentioned um, that uh, that we've talked about over here. The one that uh, is, is basically making sure that nobody uh, can disagree. You want to create that culture and an open line of communication. In fact, speaking of that, we've talked in previous weeks about how to create uh, different programs, even in a digital age um, where there are conversations that are taking place, ways to build your team. I would recommend that. And when you have a, a, a solid team and a solid culture, yes, people will be more than willing to share and communicate, and uh, frankly, share some good ideas uh, that will help contribute to the bottom line. Because after all, isn't that what business is all about? It is all about, as we said earlier on the program, making money, um, but also having a good time at it and and helping people along the way. So for more tips, advice, and information, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. Be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn. Again, uh, Shalom Klein, uh, as well as, of course, on my website, shalomklein.com, where you can download the podcasts from all of the past almost eight years of shows. So, we're going to squeeze in a quick break more small business jobs and entrepreneurship when we return. Again, get on my website, shalomklein.com. We'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. So my next guest has helped uh, some of the world's top companies transform equity. And she's written a new book called Unbiased, which uh, provides actionable steps for businesses to follow. And uh, so she's not keeping all of those secrets to herself. I'm absolutely thrilled to be joined by Stacey Gordon, who's the CEO of Los Angeles based Rework Work, which aligns companies' top talents with inclusive workplaces that helps everyone realize their true potential at work. Stacey, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you. Thank you. So excited to be here.
3: Oh, it's exciting to have you. Um, you have such a fascinating background. That's where I want to start. And then we'll talk a little bit about the book and talk about some of your advice for uh, for small businesses. So, Stacy. Um, You, uh, I understand you were born in London, spent teenage years in Brooklyn, and now live in California. You are a globetrotter, aren't you?
1: Yes, yes. Um, And, you know, and I think that has helped me with the work that I do, right? I I feel like I was always an outsider and always trying to fit in. And so um, I had to hone my people skills (laughs) relatively early in life.
3: And, and Stacy, I, I want to start with talking about diversity because you are a female black woman. Again, that has uh, born um, born in Europe and uh, spent time in the East Coast, now on the West Coast. And as you just said, that has uh, that has uh, allowed you to learn, but also allowed you to teach. So, what was that aha moment? Tell us a little bit about your journey into, uh, I guess, writing the book on bias, but also into rework.
1: Yeah, it, you know, I I worked as a re- recruiter and I love I still love recruiting. I love helping people get jobs and I, um and when I was working as a recruiter, I found that it was taking more time and energy to get women hired, to get people of color hired, people with accents. You know, I live in Los Angeles. I had someone tell me one day, you know, that they didn't want and, and don't send them anyone who had an accent don't send them anyone who you know another position was a women with they were like we need you to put their hair up in a bun and i was like i'm not dealing with their hair i'm not telling women how to wear their hair on a job interview like what is going on and i was like why are these things even coming up and it just it made me realize that the companies they dictate they have so much bias about what makes a good employee and what makes somebody professional and what makes somebody deserving of a job and when you realize that you you have it in the hands in your hands to be able to help somebody to either feed their family or not that is um in my mind a really big uh you know responsibility and so just seeing that over and over again having people cry in my office i was like this is enough so I um, started really focusing in on the companies and the way that they were treating people, the way that they were receiving people or not receiving them at all. Um, and that's really what, what what got me focused in on diversity, equity, and inclusion, because I realized that's the problem. The bias that shows up over and over again is, uh, is the problem, and that's what has to be dealt with.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, I was laughing because uh, I understand that your favorite song is Michael Jackson's Man in the Mirror, uh, which starts with the lyrics, I'm going to make a change for once in my life. It's going to feel real good, going to make a difference, going to make it right. And it sounds like that has been your mantra. And you're certainly living up to that through all of your work, which uh, I don't know how you sleep because you are working with, again, some of the uh, largest companies, uh, you are a diversity, inclusion, career strategy uh, instructor at LinkedIn. So, so, so much. So I want to get into some of those uh, areas of diversity. Uh, again, you've worked with large companies. I want to focus our conversation on some small companies. Um, and, and, you know, many of our listeners are small business owners, entrepreneurs, or they may just be fortunate to have a couple of people on their team. What are some of the things that you talk about in your book and that you educate that are applicable to small organizations as well.
1: Yeah, I think for for small organizations, the, the, the trap that we all fall into is looking at our networks, right? And so I talk a lot about how... Um, we really need to start including people, working to include people rather than excluding. And so for many small business owners, when you start a business, the first people that you hire right, are people from your network, people that you know, people that you can trust. So if your network is small and homogenous, then you're going to be hiring people who look like you. Um, And there's nothing wrong with that, right? But then what happens is as you grow and you become a a bigger and a bigger business, you still have people who look like you. And then you get to a point that makes it really difficult. So my advice for small business owners is always make your network larger. Start making your networks um, more diverse because then it's going to be easier for you to hire people who you trust, who are different than you. And that's going to help set you up for success from the very beginning rather than having to wait till later and then have to backtrack.
3: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Again, I'm chatting with Stacey Gordon, who is the uh, CEO of Rework, um, which is a Los Angeles-based company working with uh, organizations around the, uh, around the globe, as we just talked about, um, with some great advice for small business owners. So, uh, Stacey, we're going to squeeze in a quick break, and we're going to continue the conversation. But before we go to break, I have to ask, as a uh, travel, uh, as a passionate traveler myself, you've been all over the world, where's been your favorite place?
1: Um, you know, so far, I think it was going to to, to Bucharest. Um, I got an invite um, through LinkedIn to go speak um, and to be the keynote speaker for an HR conference that was happening in Bucharest. And I was like, why not? And it was just such a beautiful country, beautiful city uh, to be able to, you know, to go to Eastern Europe and um, really just enjoyed walking through these streets that are, Just you know, centuries old, and um, that was a lot of fun. I really, really, I loved the trip. Mm -hmm. I loved the people. I loved the food. Um, I just loved the whole experience.
3: That's awesome, and I've no doubt that uh, that travel has uh, educated your uh, your work as well. Again, chatting with Stacey Gordon, we are going to squeeze in a quick break. More conversation about diversity and inclusion when we return in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. I'm chatting with Stacy Gordon, uh, the author of a new book called Unbiased, addressing unconscious bias at work. And uh, just before we went to break, we've been talking a little bit about travel, which uh, which as I said a moment ago, no doubt has, uh, has informed uh, informed you, Stacy, in, in your work, uh, which is interesting. So you wrote the book, um, and I don't need to give away all of the secrets because we want people to purchase a copy um, it is a must-read, again, unbiased, addressing unconscious bias at work. What are some of the actionable steps that uh, that folks listening can uh, put in place uh, in the week ahead?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I'm know i glad that you asked that question because, you know, you, you asked for actionable steps, and I think that's part of what the, the issue is with diversity, equity, and inclusion is everything that's happened in the last, you know, couple of months, couple of years, everybody wants to jump into action. And so what the book actually does is it provides you with a framework to help you start uh, from a place of awareness. It actually is four A's, right? We talk about awareness, alignment, then action, and then advocacy. And people always ask, well, aren't we supposed to do something? Don't you want us to do something? And say, yes, absolutely. However, you can't do anything unless you know who you're doing it for, why you're doing it, and how you're going to do it. And the only way to do that is to start with some awareness. You've got to actually backtrack a little bit. And talk to your employees. So, for all the small business uh, owners listening, the thing that I that always cracks me up is people say, "We've got to do unconscious bias training." And I'm like, "Yeah, would love for you to do that because I love to, to give that kind of of education." But how do you know that that's what you need, right? Have you talked to your employees? Your employees they come to work every day. They have so many ideas about what's going to work for them in the workplace. Do you talk to them and ask them before we start making edicts about what we need to do? So the awareness stage is the place that people always want to skip over and go straight to action. But you really have to backtrack and go to awareness and say, what are we doing? Why are we doing it? How are we doing it? Who are we doing it for? (laughs) On what time frame are we going to do it before we start to do it? So that would be my number one tip is start with awareness start with some education, start with listening to your employees and really asking for their feedback because they usually have the best ideas.
3: Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And I I know that in your book, you have many uh, tips, advice, information. Um, So again, it is a must read um, for everybody. And I know uh, folks can go on Amazon and uh, just look up Unbiased uh, by Stacey A. Gordon uh, to uh, to purchase a copy of the book, and again, guaranteed you will learn something. Um, my final question, as we run out of time over here, is just talking about networks. I know that you are a prolific tweeter. You are uh, on LinkedIn. You're you're out there. Um, how do you build a How do you build an inclusive network and uh, with with the content that you put out there?
1: Yeah. It's really about being curious about other people, right? Um, You got to want to, you know, I I always tell people, yes, use LinkedIn. And there are people who say, well, I only accept people on LinkedIn who I know. And I'm like, well, then why are you on LinkedIn? The whole point of LinkedIn is to get to know new people. So start reaching out past your second connections, right? Start looking at people mm-hmm. who are different than you and really start accepting those individuals in because then your feed gets curated with new things. I've been accepting people who, because my, my unconscious bias course has been translated into several languages. And so people will reach out to me in different languages, and what I'm finding is that my newsfeed now gets curated with many different types of, um, of stories from around the world. Things I would not normally have been able to see. But because I've accepted more people and my network has gotten wider, my perspective, uh, in, even in my own newsfeed, has now grown larger.
3: Well, awesome. Um, and uh, you are sharing some great uh, content out there. And I want to make sure our listeners know where they can find it. So, Stacey, I know folks can go to your website, reworkworks.com. Um, to learn more about uh, all of your services, all of the work that you do, as well as, of course, as we said, go on Amazon uh, to uh, pick up a copy, uh, again, of Unbiased, Addressing Unconscious Bias at Work. Stacey, Gordon, thanks so much for joining us on the air. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. And that is a wrap for us here on Get Down to Business. We'll be back next Sunday at 6 PM right here on AM560, The Answer. Um, Success. Let's get down to business.